Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pat and the Fat Man, where we like to talk about movies, sports, whatever else we feel like. I'm Pat. No, I'm the Fat Man, otherwise known as Comrade Bruce. Comrade, you mother... <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you in hell! <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about the Russian invasion of Ukraine... I mean, of the United States of America, <laughs> via the, the classic cult movie, 1984 version... Red Dawn. Just be yelling Wolverines, Wolverines, randomly throughout the podcast. Yeah, because you gotta, you gotta yell it. So let's start with our first impressions of the Fat Man. I was surprised when I looked, and Rotten Tomatoes had this at like I don't know forty eight percent or something, and I was like, man, I remember this being a good movie. Now that I've watched it again some years later, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's not the best movie ever, but it's a, it's a. <laughs> It's a, it's a good movie. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing because I'm in like 100% agreement. <laughs> like there's some pretty hardcore cheesiness about this, but it's still a good movie. <laughs> like there's definitely some cinematic things. You're like, wait, wasn't it just dark and now it's full daylight? Wait, what happened? It's a good movie. It's a fun movie. It's definitely one of those, you know, teenagers don't know <laughs> what real life is like kind of movies. <laughs> Especially since, like, when I was a teenager and I discovered this movie, it was definitely one of those, yeah, this is a great movie, yeah! And, like, now as I'm an adult, I'm like, oh, these kids have no f- clue. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think the thing that's most surprising about it is how big of a cast it is. Because uh, this was a movie where a lot of these actors, maybe they weren't unknowns, but they weren't as big of a stars as they were going to be. Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey, Leah Thompson, Charlie Sheen. These are big names now. And at the time... There was a lot... Yeah, there were a lot... I was like, I was looking at all the people and I'm like, holy crap, there are a ton of like well-known actors in this movie, even on the bad guy side of things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Harry Dean Stanton, you know, was the the father of the, the the two kids, you know, the two of the main characters. So, yeah, of course, there are some really classic uh, moments in it. Opening scene I, I, is hands down one of the most classic 1980s opening scenes ever. So, yeah, it's a fun movie. I love watching it. My first impressions, I had a lot more feels during this movie than I was expecting to, I gotta admit. And and partly because I could only really remember the first half of this movie. Mm-hmm. And um, all the bad stuff happens in the second half, obviously. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, not that a bunch of bad stuff doesn't happen in the first half, but, you know, all the characters you get to know and love and everything die tragically for the most part <laughs> in, in the second. Spoilers, everybody, for you know, what, 50, close to 50 years? 40-something years old. I mean, I mean, it's not quite 40 years old, but it's close. And, yeah. and I mean, come on, if you don't know it already. <laughs> Very, I don't know, somewhat rah-rah America, somewhat, oh my gosh, this is so pertinent to what's going on like right now. It made me think about, okay, like, what about the other side of this ball? Like, what about the wars we've, where we've invaded places? Like, how were we viewed? You know, it made me think a lot more than I thought it was going to. It made me feel a lot more than I thought it was going to. And it was very 80s. Everything was practical effects. And it seemed like they burned their budget on certain items and then not on others. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which was okay. I mean, 
<laughs> yeah, those bullet holes didn't really look real, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, especially like that. I noticed like in the very first scene, though, there's the one kid hanging out the window, and I'm like, mm-hmm. but he was shot with a machine gun. There's no way that bullet hole in his head would be that small. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like in multiple ways. <laughs> <laughs> so, I really like this movie, and I'm gonna. I have a feeling I'm gonna be far more philosophical and potentially political, but hopefully not hopefully apolitically political, like not one sided political <laughs> through the course of this. Like I just I see it coming. Like I'm just I'm you're gonna hear me go off for like ten minutes about like Which again is funny because like you know, like we said at the top of this, this isn't what you'd call like a really great production of, you know, cinema, you know. <laughs> right. Like this isn't like Francis Ford Coppola's shining glory of a movie or anything. It's <laughs> it's I mean it's somewhat slapdash. It's <laughs> I mean, there's a version of this like you bought this for me for my birthday, a version of this on the dvd where it has a body counter <laughs> <laughs> yeah i bet it gets pretty high <laughs> they kill a lot of people pretty indiscriminately <laughs> yeah that's where i'm at on mine on how i feel about the movie so let's go ahead and dig into this thing all right so the movie opens in a very non-classic way like there's not a whole lot of like you know pre-credits or anything like that so the movie starts out with like a sort of narration just like bullet point notes you know like soviet union suffers a wheat harvest problem and labor riots in poland you know and soviet troops invade poland so it kind of builds all this whole thing up whereas the russians you know the the soviet russia is building up its empire while cuba and nicaragua you know start building up their empire and nato gets dissolved and the united states is all by itself so it kind of built a narrative. So I want to talk about the the one card talks about uh, the Green Party taking over Germany mm-hmm. and them uh, demanding to get rid of nuclear weapons, you know, on European soil. Mm-hmm. There's two problems with that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first big problem is that Germany is not is never been a nuclear power, right? They don't have the bomb, mm-hmm. like, or at least they if they do, they've never tested it because we've never seen a nuclear explosion from a German source. So. The Green Party being in charge of Germany, which did eventually happen in the 2000s, and and I'll get to that piece. That's a third point that I'm going to talk about. But (laughs) (laughs) them doesn't really matter. Like France and Great Britain, not going to be interested in giving up their nuclear weapons just because Germany's Green Party (laughs) says you should do it. Like you, you could see that kind of thing maybe coming to a real political head nowadays because of the the European Union. Like you could see blows come between France and Germany over this because Germany has a more controlling position in the European Union and there's a connectedness there and there could there's a there's an arena for that kind of thing. But in nineteen eighty four that sort of thing didn't exist. Right. I mean the honest truth is Germany in nineteen eighty four was still split, right? It was still West and East Germany. Yeah, because it wasn't until just before the nineteen nineties that the wall fell, wasn't it? Right. So West Germany's not gonna be terribly interested. Like, okay, sure, the Green Party takes over. Like, who cares? <laughs> West Germany and especially Berlin is still utterly and completely dependent on the United States and the rest of NATO for food <laughs> and for, for surviving. So Berlin Wall didn't fall until 1989. Right. So that that piece of it, you got to push the I believe button for that. The dissolution of NATO, 
Like, I don't ever see that happening, especially if you have Russia invade Poland. Well, spoiler alert, you got to push the I believe button a lot in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, 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 no. There's two moments where it happens like it's ridiculous, the amount of I believe. And this is the first one <laughs> for me. All the stuff in South America, that is far more believable. Russia invading Poland, that's certainly believable. But the dissolution of NATO after an event like that, that is not believable. Because, I mean, that was part of the plan. If you look at the stuff that got declassified uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union, like the Russians had had a full invasion of Europe plan and Poland was part of that. And, you know, eventually we knew about it. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's 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 kind of the first piece the, or the, the first and second uh, parts of it. What I will will say, and, and of course, I'm getting and this is more historically and this was brought up by a friend of mine. If you remember back in like the early 2000s, there was uh, a nuclear event, nuclear disaster event called uh, Fukushima or Fukushima. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in Japan, basically a gigantic earthquake and the resulting tidal wave kind of wasted an entire sea coast, an entire prefecture in Japan. So it's like a state being completely destroyed by, it'd be like if Hurricane Katrina had wiped out like Louisiana and not just New Orleans right? <laughs> is, is effectively what happened. And so there was a resulting nuclear, I call it disaster because I mean, still two people died, but they died because of the tidal wave. They didn't die because of nuclear stuff. So, but it's, it's labeled as a, as a nuclear disaster. Either way, the, one of the political results of that was the Green Party winning out in Germany and forcing Germany to shut down and decommission all its nuclear power plants. That resulted in Germany then becoming almost solely dependent on natural gas to produce its electricity. And they buy all that natural gas from Russia. Right. And one of the primary drivers of the conflict, current conflict between the Russian Russia and Ukraine is natural gas. Right. <laughs> so you could say in a way the Green Party does can cause these kind of global conflict level problems. <laughs> <laughs> At least the German Green Party. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But yeah, our Green Party can't do much, which I'm okay with. <laughs> they have some good ideas, like protecting the earth, all for it. You know, complete disarmament, less all for that. <laughs> That's just what I want to point out. It's like just looking at it at face value. As far as conflicts go, like Red Dawn is pretty close to like what's going on in Ukraine right now. Like you could, I could see this kind of thing playing out there right now. <laughs> like Ukraine is playing the part of the U.S. in Red Dawn right now. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, I mean, this, despite the the buildup, yeah, it was just suddenly they were crossing the border. Now I don't know yeah. if they used paratroopers per se, because I mean, in Ukraine that would be less uh, uh, covert <laughs> than than just yeah. driving across the border. Surprisingly enough. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I mean, there were reasons that they talked about they used them in Red Dawn. So, and we'll get to that part. Like, it's a very different tactic situation. But you could see like a bunch of people like fleeing the city and going up into the hills and then becoming freedom fighters. Like right. I'm pretty sure that's happening right now. Right. I'm <laughs> like, like almost entirely, you know, certain that that's exactly what's happened. I mean, well, yeah. especially because of the, the jokes about how Ukrainian farmers towing away, you know, Russian tanks with their tractors, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So sorry, folks, that's what you're in for, for the rest of this is me just going off the hinge on that stuff. <laughs> Who are aiming for four episodes could be as many as eight. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) 
So now that we've gotten through the first 10 seconds of the movie, <laughs> it's only thir- we're only 13 minutes into recording, folks. <laughs> and we've done through the narration. Now I, I, we go to the opening credits, which I, is something of noteworthy. The, the opening credits start with like a lot of like military movies or like jet fighter pilot movies. It's like early dawn. You're in the clouds. There's the music playing. I think it's interesting because it's like a, a sort of story trope kind of thing where you're like our story like any other story begins from imagination you know where does it come from yeah and we're going to descend through into our dreams to our story kind of thing but in the credits none of the cast is presented it's all the crew it's all the producers director of photography all those none of the actors names are presented in the opening credits if you go back and, and and honestly, the best way to go back and watch old movies is to watch Mystery Science Theater 3000. So I highly recommend watching Mystery Science. Go to the Gizmoplex. Uh, or uh, Rift Tracks. That's another name they go by. So if you watch those movies, all the credits are up front, right? There are no, there are barely any credits at the end of the movie. It's all up front. Like everybody who's in it, all the actors, the musicians, the grips, whatever. Not that there were those people back then, but everybody who's in the movie that they thought to put in the credits is all the credits is before the movie happens. And the first big movie that deviates from this is Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars came out in 1976 or seven. Oh, really? It was that early? Yeah, it was. And they got hit for it. Well, they didn't get hit for the first one. They got hit for uh, Empire, which was 80. Mm, Empire was 80. Lucas got fined because he did what he did, which was like no credits, right? Mm-hmm. You just get the and you get Star Wars and then the, the scrolling text and you get absolutely no credits. Well, I was seen kind of as a novel thing. Okay, it's interesting, you know, cinematography. But then when he did it again with Empire, everybody was super ticked, right? Because they want all the names up front. Because just like what happens today in theaters where nobody pays attention to the giant wall of scrolling text, the credits. It's interesting that I, cinematographers have found a way to keep us in the theaters for the credits. <laughs> <laughs> with the stingers. Yeah, yes. by, by mid-credit scenes and stingers. Because they put the mid-credit scene typically after the, all the actors' credits cards. Because a lot of times it's not even the scrolling text anymore. They have their own like animations and cards and stuff. And then after that, you get the wall of text. And it's interesting to me. You go from – you watch these early movies from like – and they're not even that early. Like we talk about like the 60s and 70s in cinematography. The film's already been around for like a, 60 years at that point or, or longer you know, technically longer, but the, the credit list is like, I don't know, a minute, maybe, maybe two. Whereas today it's like a whole 15 minute thing. Like everybody under the sun who's involved is credited in the movie, which is, is fine, but it's also like, all right, how far do we take this? (laughs) You know, (laughs) the guy in charge of sandwiches gets a, it's a a screen credit. (laughs) It's not a joke. Like he's in there. Right. I remember talking to, I had one of my bosses, his son was a movie helper extra. I don't know a grip. I I don't know what his his title was, Mm -hmm. but that was part of his contract. His working contract was he got his name in the credits and he got paid $2,000 less a year because of that. Mm-hmm. I got to be honest. 
I would take the money, but <laughs> the reason for that is, is because uh, when you think about like a filming schedule, like the actual filming, there's no schedule per se. If you have to be awake at 2 a.m. for one shot and then 10 a.m. or 7 a.m. for the next shot, that's what you do. So a lot of these guys, I mean, they don't have like a nine to five job. They put in a lot of hours, a lot of stress and the ex- expectation, even for the lowest guys is really high for these guys because like actors, if you were in some way you know affecting the actors these guys you know you've seen the videos with like christian bale and and others you know where they just go off the handles and and it's millions of dollars in production because the sandwich guy didn't get the mustard right on christian Bale's sandwich you know or something like that you know like this guy's job on one of the movies he was on a movie with um or he was helping with a movie that had uh, bruce willis on it and his entire job was to drive around Louisiana and New Orleans specifically, but you know New Orleans and, and Baton Rouge, looking for chapstick because in Bruce Willis's contract there was like nine different flavors of chapstick required to be in his room. Right. So that was like hours of his day. Right. <laughs> and, and by not doing that, other than breaking the contract, you're holding per, like a millions of dollars worth of production per day, you know, or per hour for all these things. So to a certain extent, like I get what you're saying. Like you think that you know these people are inconsequential. Maybe in the big picture they are, but because because such the little things can cost so much money, you know, you're like, all right, you know, we'll pay you $2,000 less. So, so that way you can show that you were part of this and that you had some sort of impact on this. I'm, I'm not saying they're inconsequential. I'm just saying at some point, holy crash. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. No, I get what you're saying. Cause you're like looking at that and like, who the is this guy? Why am I waiting five mm-hmm. minutes to read his name? I'm never going to remember him. <laughs> yeah. Like, and there was something I tried to do was sit and like read the names and the credits. And the, the reality is the way they move the credits along, you can only read a couple names. And if you watch a movie on TV nowadays, what they do is they, they move the credits to the side while they're playing an advertisement for another show. Right. Or even start the next show. And they fast forward the credits. So, <laughs> They can say, yeah, we showed them legally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just interesting to me, the kind of evolution of that. But yeah, you're right. So you you get this. I'll finally bring it back to the movie. You, you're flying <laughs> along in the air, you know, just through the clouds, which is, I don't know, it's a it's a fairly prototypical way to start a movie with the names, but not, not the actor names. Right. Yeah, I did notice that. I thought that was very interesting. Because I was waiting for it. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, there he is. There he is. I'm like, nope. After that, you kind of plunge into one cloud and then boom, you flash to the scenery of our place. Now, it's supposed to be Colorado. It's actually New Mexico. This was actually filmed somewhere in New Mexico. It'd be northern New Mexico where the where the Rockies are. Right. Which you can definitely, like having done a little bit of um, truck driving, I, I can tell you there is a difference. A pretty decent difference. Like say the difference between like New Mexico and Arizona, not as much, but... New Mexico and Colorado, very much so. Well, and you got to think most of Colorado, at least the inhabited parts of Colorado, are a mile, close to a mile above sea level. Whereas in New Mexico, they're not. Right. <laughs> they're they're pretty much at sea level or pretty close to it. And so the, the terrain and just it's generally different. However, the Rocky Mountains are the Rocky Mountains. And so you can kind of get away with... Pretending, I guess. I guess that's the right word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you do some, like, you know, wilderness shots, there's then you go to shots of the town in question, which is pretty 
typical for, again for war movies of the 80s like rambo set in a similar kind of town but that one's more washington oregon era but the towns look very similar it's a very western midwestern kind of towns with old architecture farming ranching town that's got i mean you, like you drive anywhere in texas and you'll see like 10 of these right like if you drive off if you're not on you know i-45 or 30 or whatever if you're driving on a highway or you just you go through these towns and that's just how they're structured they've got right. the so it's a very American town kind of thing. The paper boy, you know, throwing paper to people's houses, riding his bike, kids crossing the street to go to school. Now, the town in the story is Calumet, Colorado. I'll eventually come back and at some point tell you what town it was actually filmed in because you could probably go back and actually see a lot of this. And I'm sure that's part of this town's tourism at this point. I don't know why you wouldn't like just advertise the crap that this movie was uh, filmed in your town. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's a statue of Theodore Roosevelt as a rough rider. Mm-hmm. And the inscription on the, uh, on the statue says, you know, the rough rider far better. It is to dare mighty things than to take rank with those poor, timid spirits who know neither victory nor defeat. Theodore Roosevelt, 1899. Yeah. This is from a, a speech from uh, Roosevelt called the man in the arena. And he gave this speech, I believe while he was doing his European tour after he was president. He's a, he's a very interesting character for a lot of, a lot of reasons. There's a reason like his books, autobiographies and biographies about him are so popular is because he had a very interesting life overall. So after he was president, he was a celebrity like period, just flat out. Oh yeah. The stories of Theodore Roosevelt are just yeah before, during and after his presidency. <laughs> right. I think his after presidency is probably one of the most interesting parts of his time. You know, after his presidency, he goes to Africa. He does a, a tour around Africa, collecting uh, ostensibly collecting specimens for the Smithsonian Institute, which he does bring back a ton. And then after that, he goes to Europe and does a tour around Europe. And it's interesting watching, looking at his commentary on the on Europe at the time, because we're still, this is still pre-World War One, and most of Europe is still a bunch of monarchies, but they're calling it, you know, kind of crumbling. And, you know, he talks about the disparity of seeing people on the street versus eating dinner with these monarchs kind of a thing. I think he gives this speech in Spain, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and it's not like it's not like super well received. But ever since then, since it got printed, especially in the United States, it's huge. Like, I, you know, I'm my boss's boss has it like on his wall. Like it's oh, very really? it's a very common speech to have around. Yeah. Oh. Especially for military men. And it's basically a speech him with, with him more or less bashing critics. Mm-hmm. And saying, look, critics are a bunch of cowards <laughs> because they don't get in the ring. Like you can criticize a man because he fails, but at least the man tried. Like what have you bunch of, you know, lily limpered, <laughs> weak wristed bastards ever done kind of a thing. Um, but that's that's sort of the, the main thrust of the speech is is that quote is that better to be the, the man in the arena who has tried even if he fails. It gets quoted a lot. Roosevelt actually shows up a couple times in this movie, if I remember correctly. But yeah, that's that's from Man in the Arena. I, I it's one of it's. I think it's one of the great American speeches, to be honest. Pretty much anything Abraham Lincoln wrote, because <laughs> that man, he was just amazing with a pen. And the thing about Lincoln's is they were pithy. Like they were they were short. You don't have like ten pages worth of speech going on <laughs> with with Lincoln. But yeah, I I highly recommend reading that. The, the man in the arena speech from uh, Theodore Roosevelt. It's probably his most popular speech to this day. <laughs> 
that statue, that plaque, and that excerpt from the speech kind of just is the starting gun from where we start our, our story. And uh, three of our heroes, as they are, pull up in a blue pickup truck. Uh, Patrick Swayze, who plays um, Jed, his brother Matt, played by Charlie Sheen, and the character known as Ardvark. No kidding, mm-hmm. his name is Ardvark, played by a guy named Tug, uh, Doug Toby. And they they all look so young. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Just how young they all look. Like uh, Patrick Swayze's dropping off the other two, saying he's got to go, you know, work at the shop or whatever. You got to think like he graduated like last week from high school yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> but he drives you know like he's got his own apartment whatnot he don't got <laughs> it's just normal conversation like oh you know you got to work at the shop he's like yeah so you got to find another ride home and he goes well you know charlie sheen's like well we got to work double time you know because of the game and you see the scoreboard in the background says 21 to 13 you know the the high school team had lost to the visitors 21 to 13 yep and, you know, Charlie, she can give him a quip, you know, so I remember you losing a game once yourself. And it's like, I don't remember that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Can't believe the wind that comes out of your mouth. <laughs> I don't know. This is just like good old Americana. Uh-huh. Your brothers teasing each other, you know, two of them going to school, the older brothers at work, kind of a deal, talking about the game. You know, the, old, the older brothers talking about his glory days as, as a football star. I I don't know. It's just, it just sets it sets the scene as like this is America. This is a normal <laughs> American day. It's September. Yep. You know it's September because they put it up for you in the first sh- in the opening shot there. You know in the wilderness yep. shot that it's September, which they do throughout the movie to, to let you know uh, time is actually passing in this movie. Dead drives off. Charlie and Doug, and they wave goodbye, and kids go to school. And the first class you see them in is history class, world history, apparently, because they're talking about Genghis Khan. And they're talking about the Genghis Khan's, you know, tactics of surrounding and flanking and encircling, you know, their enemies and closing in the circle until, you know, they kill everything but the last thing. And then as he's talking about this, all of a sudden you see paratroopers start falling out of the sky. Like, I think this is one of the most iconic scenes of the 1980s cinema is just Mm -hmm. paratroopers just suddenly coming out of the sky (laughs) and falling in on a high school. (laughs) Yeah. The 1980s, like, you know, we talk about the height of the cold war being in the seventies and kind of the fever pitch being around the Cuban missile crisis, right? With JF Kennedy's president. But the reality is the Cold War was still going hard in the 80s. Right. Both us and Russia and China and France, for some reason, (laughs) were regularly testing nuclear bombs. Like, we were still testing these things in the 80s pretty frequently. Right, and playing the cat and mouse kind of chess game of, oh, I see you here, you see me there, you know. Yeah, we can't shoot each other, but we can shoot each other's vassal states. Kind of a deal. Right, right, we could take pictures and you go, see, we see you there, ha, 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 you know. (laughs) Yeah, this coming to the theaters in 1984, it was still... A common fear. Now, I, you know, we go into the psychology of, okay, ever since the 1950s, we've had nuclear weapons. In the 1960s, we had two large, powerful nations have nuclear weapons that have completely different ideologies on how society should be run. That being, you know, the United States of America, which is capitalist democracy, ostensibly, and the Soviet Union, which was communism and socialism. And the worldview on that was not a if they come to blows, but everybody had a very much of a win. Like, when are they going to come to blows? And then when nuclear armaments came into the thing, everything got a basically a big question in everybody's right. mind. Like, a lot of people think about the Cold War, our age, because everything was more or less settled. Like, we grew up in the power in the time where, you know, the Soviet Union 
it's pretty much fallen and China's not really up to snuff yet as far as nuclear power. So the United States has more or less global dominance for about 10 years. Back in the 70s and the 60s and the 80s, that just wasn't the case. Like the Soviet Union was a real terror. And the reality was that until you got a pretty decent way into the Cold War, like nobody figured out how they were going to fight these cold, this Cold War right. without it escalating to a nuclear war. Right. Like there was no scenario which you figured that a scenario would, it wouldn't would end in nuclear holocaust. <laughs> right. You know, eventually, because... You know, luckily for us, the leaders on both sides weren't completely insane. Mm-hmm. And even the low level military guys who got orders to fire missiles, either from systems that were malfunctioning or because of effectively bad orders, decided not to wipe out humanity. <laughs> like, like, there were several instances during the 70s and 80s where we got lucky. Thank God. <laughs> and I think it's it's a fear that a lot of people maybe understand more now that Russia has invaded the Ukraine and there's a possibility of a of nuclear action going on there and everybody, you know, you see those memes now that talk about, you know, a Gen Xers talking to millennials and be like, hey, it's okay. I know this is your first like nuclear war scare. <laughs> you know, it'll be okay. Trust me. <laughs> kind of a deal. That's real. Like the, there is a pervasive fear that you're just going to wake up one day and it was going to be over like the the nukes were going to fly and it was all going to be done and so and really that you weren't going to know it was going to happen until it happened (laughs) right yeah and so like the whole soldiers parachuting in next to the school it's kind of this way to do that Mm -hmm. where you're just living your normal life and suddenly you're not anymore Without total destruction of humanity. Right. And so in a lot of ways, like this played into the ever-present fear of this kind of thing happening without being alarmist. Right. This was a fear that you could survive, you know, that, right. that you know, if this happened, okay, you know, bad things are happening, but I could work my way out of it. Right. <laughs> there was hope. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an extraordinarily interesting take because, I mean, let's be honest, like just from a perspective of filming – you know, everybody dying in nuclear wars is, I mean, it's okay for a couple movies, but, <laughs> you know, even the Terminator movies are mostly set in the past, right? Because the future is not very fun. Right. <laughs> it's a very different setting, time setting that the movie both was shot in and it came out in. And then obviously in this world, the United States stands alone, right? That's kind of the last, the last card you get going into this is the U.S. There's no more NATO. It's the U.S. stands alone. And so this kind of a thing, I guess, possibly could happen. So the teacher sees the troopers coming out, like the whole class is staring. Teacher decides he's going to go out and figure out what's happening here. Now, if you're any kind of intelligent, you can see that these guys clearly aren't American. Like, there's just nothing about those uniforms that look American. The way that the camouflage is done, the fact that they have blue beret hats, you know, some of them have, the officers have blue beret military hats on so um, i'm not really sure what he was thinking (laughs) that he was going to go out there and talk to these guys but (laughs) and let's be honest like in an invasion scenario if i'm not putting up a fight i would expect not to be shot on site right (laughs) (laughs) i think that's probably part of it is there is this probably this hope inside of the you know hey maybe these are just you know, guys on exercise and they got blown off course, which is what he says out loud. He's like, these guys are way off course. (laughs) But then on the other side of it, it's like, okay, if this is actually as hostile 
if this is a hostile invasion or an action, surely they're not just going to randomly shoot a bunch of people. Surely. <laughs> that's surely. not the case. <laughs> he comes out, and first thing the Russian does is just shoot him in the chest and then go he to just... town on the class. <laughs> and then... Yeah, and then he goes to town killing the kids. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, and then... Yeah, the kids go running and screaming. There's one kid is dead hanging out the window, and that's the one I was telling you about. He's got like a tiny bullet hole in his in his head. Yeah, <laughs> not smacking in the middle, just off to the side. But you're just like, okay, uh, <laughs> and it's just like total chaos. Like, like it's so funny. The Russians decide that they're attacking the high school, like they're attacking a military installation. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then, like, then it, I'm not gonna say I pushed the I had to push the I believe button for this because I could see a disorganized military action like this occur but the reality is they weren't it's not like when we sent paratroopers in behind the beach lines during d-day you know it wasn't like the storming of normandy where those guys were falling into enemy occupied territory and they needed to start shooting everywhere because (laughs) because you know the germans were everywhere (laughs) right because everyone around them had guns right (laughs) this was they were parachuting into a small town in colorado and they just start shooting like ah like i get it and then i also don't get it (laughs) it sort of belies when the when you see the first like real officer come up and he's like this is just utter chaos (laughs) you're like yes (laughs) i think it would have been slightly less shocking for your average 1984 audience member Mm -hmm. but probably still pretty shocking and it would have been because you're still talking not quite a decade after vietnam so we hadn't you know, the U.S. really hadn't embro- been embroiled in a long-term war for a while at that point. For us, it's it's shocking, not for the war aspect so much, but for the indiscriminate killing aspect. Like, right. uh, you know, we just don't do that anymore. Right. Kind of a thing. You see uh, uh, Patrick Swayze pick up his brother and a bunch of other kids and, in the blue pickup truck. So the funny part there is, like, somehow <laughs> he was able to just quickly turn around and be back within the... F- couple of minutes that all this is happening you know and right and get yeah. his brother but he picks up his brother and they go tearing off down you know getting away from the school and then we get into town and see the chaos ensuing there <laughs> like another interesting counter you can do is how many enemy soldiers because this probably don't know who they are necessarily have run past them <laughs> yeah have just run right past you know shooting up other cars right. or other people but run right past patrick swayze's truck <laughs> <laughs> and these other kids who are escaping in the back of the truck and and then the one guy with the RPG who misses him and blows up the school bus instead. <laughs> <laughs> that strikes me as one of those scenes where it's like, we didn't quite get the timing right on it, but we don't have more money for explosions. So moving on. <laughs> we can use bottle rockets, but we can't have dynamite. <laughs> yeah. 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 As per the the raw raw, you know, American thing, uh, when we start seeing the chaos in town, it focuses on a bumper sticker that says they can have my gun and they pull it from my cold dead my cold dead hands. And of course yes. there's a body on the ground and the Russian soldier takes it off the dead body, you know. Yep. And they come around the corner and then Jed hits a car coming around the corner, starts taking down Main Street, and then the dad's, you know, yelling at his kid, son. Yep. So what's a little more interesting about this is the dad's like, son, come save me instead of get the hell out of here like if that were my kids go get the out of here don't worry yeah, about me yeah exactly yeah <laughs> go 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 you know Not, please save me <laughs> i'm more important it's another instance where you can look at all the russian soldiers and be like none of you is shooting at this truck like you're right. shooting everywhere else <laughs> right <laughs> 
but yeah, yeah, the actions of the dad were a little cowardly. <laughs> you know, like five of them surround him and put him on the ground, and you know, the kid's still trying to get out of the truck to get his dad. And then, like you said, yep. yeah, there are soldiers on either side of the truck; they're just running right past him. So, like, like twenty guys, right, like trying to get the one dad. It's like I didn't think you'd need yep. twenty of you to take him down. Part of that is the this was the the visualization of the uh, Mongolian pincher move. That the what do you call it was talking Genghis about? Genghis Khan. Yeah, yeah, the Genghis Khan was talking about. You know, this was the you could see the actual circle occur around this one guy. Um, you know, <laughs> it was supposed to be this sort of visual representation of what had just happened to the city or the, to the town. That that you know, it had been driven into a frenzy, and you know, everybody was going crazy trying to figure out what was going on, and these these one kids escape right because that that's effectively what the teacher talks about in his in his talk to the class before the invasion happens. What he said was, is that at the end, when all but one of the animals had died, the son of the Khan would come and ask him to spare the life of the one thing. Yeah. One creature is what he specifically said. That's either giving this uh, director too much credit or just the right amount. That's the funny part about this movie. It's either he really thought deep into this or he didn't think about it at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like he got lucky a lot with just the the way the scenes were shot and the placement of things and the callbacks. But they were done kind of shoddily or spottily. Like you had to really be paying attention to get it. So was he trying or did he get lucky? Like no. <laughs> <laughs> either way, great movie. I don't know. <laughs> like it's it's just <sighs> Well, I'll put it this way, like before I was saying how good of a movie it is sometimes movies should just be fun. And I think this movie is, is fun in a certain way in that, you know, it, it does evoke a lot of emotion out of you. You know, it does invoke the, the love and the anger and the uh, patriotism. It invokes a lot of these feelings in you. And as long as you don't like overly think it that, you know, then you enjoy the movie. But if you're thinking this is like you said, like a Francis Ford Coppola masterpiece, then sorry, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but it, it, at the same time, he, there's so many things he gets so right, mm-hmm. and you're just like, I did you just stumble into this? Did, oh. Okay, well, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so the kids get out of town by going down Main Street. Of all the strategic, you know, things that the Russians have done, securing Main Street wasn't one of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <You're> like, what, <laughs> what? So they may get out of town and they go to uh, a gas station that's way out of town. It's out in the plains. Pull up. One kid jumps out saying, dad, dad. And apparently his dad owns the gas station. Russian jet comes flying by. Jed gets out. And this is when the panic of the kid starts appearing. And the, the funny part is, is the acting isn't particularly great. But I think that's what makes it more believable. Mm-hmm. Because you're so stunned. You know you should be upset, but you don't know how to react. So you're going to pretend to be like really upset because you're still – you know you should be, but you're still not gripping to terms with reality. <laughs> right. I like this scene a lot because i mean this is what would happen mm-hmm. like flat out mm-hmm. like like if you get the hell out of town yeah if you got the hell out of town okay what do you do now okay well let's you know one of our dads owns this gas station in town let's go there okay all right dad dad who is the old he's pretty old like mm-hmm. he's an old guy mm-hmm. has come to terms with okay we're being invaded uh, you kids load up all the crap and get the 
out. Right. <laughs> get the food, get the guns, get the batteries and the lanterns, you know, everything that you actually need. Though, funny enough, one of the kids grabs a football. <laughs> yeah, because if you blink, you miss it. But you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> they throw in there a nice little line in there that tells you that they're teenagers. One goes, make sure to grab toilet paper. Ain't going to use no leaves. <laughs> like, yes, let's worry about the toilet paper. Good job. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you know that would happen. Oh, yeah. Flat out. I'd probably do that. <laughs> and they grab cases of Coca-Cola and Sprite. <laughs> yeah, I love I love the fact because I, I, you know, I turned to Janelle at that point because she was still watching the movie with me. And I was like, the Coca-Cola is the important part. Because they had like four <laughs> cases of it. <laughs> and a case of Sprite just because, you know, just in case somebody wants it. <laughs> in case nobody wants it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just... so they load up and like the the truck is so loaded with crap that like they can't they can't really use it as much and certainly the protection that the the truck bed was going to provide is just completely gone at this point because you got kids like in the back who are now just on top of all this crap mm-hmm. instead of being in some sort of protective not that the sides of a truck are going to protect that much from a bullet, but they might, you know, you might get a ricochet or something like that, but still, you know, you're just out on top now. <laughs> so the dad tells them, Hey, you know, go out to the, go out to the mountains. Don't come back until I come and get you, you know, don't, for whatever reason, don't come back into town. So they take off down this road. And of course they've come into the first roadblock outside of town. What does Patrick Swayze do? He turns to the side, go off the road. What I really like about this scene is it's it's very realistic. Like if you've ever tried to go off of a country road that has two ditches, it's gonna screw your truck up. <laughs> like so, geez, the whole thing's bouncing all around, and the kids are falling off, and you know, I gotta wonder how much how much stunt work was done on that scene. <laughs> and they basically they start getting fired upon by the by the roadblock, and they all have to kind of bail to get behind the truck because at that point Swayze's like, I don't know if I can drive this thing out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, just that the bullets and the, the the artillery shells are coming so close that the immediate reaction is to stop, you know, for whatever reason, like, you know, like, like if uh, lightning strikes nearby, what do you do? You don't run faster. You just stop where you're at. <laughs> yeah. So that that's what eventually happens. And then, of course, who comes to their rescue? But a UH-1 helicopter, a Huey, folks. That's what the United States sends to defend you, a Huey helicopter with rockets. (laughs) 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 And what does that Huey do? It makes the Russians run. It destroys that roadblock. That's right. I mean, that part is believable. <laughs> the, aer- the aerial donkey of the United States Army has made the Russians run. <laughs> I mean, it's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, it's probably not what would have been sent militarily. You're going to think like, all right, what do we send? Uh, we send the actual attack helicopters. We send this really crappy personnel carrier. Send the personnel carrier. All right, sir. <laughs> <laughs> sir, if you hated Colorado that much, why'd you transfer here? <laughs> you shut your face. You shut your face, right? <laughs> you commie bastards. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the, the Huey destroys the roadblock. <laughs> but lo and behold, our, our heroes are stranded out there in the middle of this field because a bullet hit the radiator. 
Yep. So Jed being uh, Patrick Swayze being the oldest of the group, <laughs> thus makes him the wisest of them, plugs the hole in the radiator and he goes, hey, the truck is fixed, except we don't have any water. <laughs> don't know what we're going to do with it. <laughs> yep. And so, of course, they wisely, he's like, I, you know, I don't know what we're going to do about it because, you know, we don't want to use the water that we brought because that's to help us, you know. <laughs> to drink it. Right. Because <laughs> right, you don't need clean water. I mean, you need some, it needs to be some amount of clean, but it doesn't need to be like drinkable clean because that's an extra level. What sort of water do we – we don't have any other water because we're in the middle of this field in Colorado or New Mexico. It doesn't matter. Mountains aren't, like, full of water. <laughs> <laughs> At least not in that way. Charlie Sheen goes, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we pee in the radiator? <laughs> and the funny part is, is as funny as that is, like, that is what a lot of people will tell you. Yeah, in a, in a pinch, that's what you can do, <laughs> you know? It's, yeah. it's like one of those, like, how to build a fire kind of things. It's just one of those survival things that you know about vehicles. <laughs> that yep. In a pinch, if you need water in the radiator, you pee in it. <laughs> you pee in it because it's mostly water. <laughs> Granted, if it boils off, it's going to smell just just terrible, which is why why if you're ever in a sauna, you don't pee on the rocks. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> it just ends terribly for everyone. <laughs> you saying this from experience or I mean anyways. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So, yeah, Jed, you know, like like the young person is chuckles at the idea as long as I'm sure. I don't know how many takes it would have taken for all of them to not chuckle at that. They're not, yeah, not laugh. <laughs> not, stop laughing. we got to get this scene. <laughs> There's one kid standing next to him goes, hey, how do you know it'll work? So it's at this point that Patrick Swayze decides that he's the oldest and he knows what to do and kind of take charge of this and go, how old are you? He goes, 15. He goes, well, when you get, when you grow up, you'll know these things. Now get up here and pee in the radiator since you want to be a smart mouth. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And this is sort of like, this is the beginning of what we, what we see eventually play out is Patrick Swayze's character effectively taking the leadership role, which is more or less kind of a natural position for him to take being the oldest among the kids, being the guy that has the truck that's driving them, that seems to know these things. So it's just sort of, I guess the second note in his progression into the leadership role, the first note being the first time we saw him and him picking up all these kids in the first place, like going back for his brothers and all that. For the folks keeping count at home, we are only 12 minutes into this movie and we've spent an hour. So get ready. It's going to be a fun series. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) Get ready, folks. You're in for a wild ride. (laughs) I didn't expect this movie to be so deep. I don't think it's deep on purpose. (laughs) I think the director (laughs) fell into it. (laughs) But yeah, don't don't worry. When we get to the action, when we start getting the action scenes, I'm going to... It's going to get ridiculous, folks. It's going to get ridiculous. (laughs) Which is why we love to do this. And it just seemed very opportunistic with uh, the stuff going in the world and and what. It's like, you know, you know how the people are like, oh, no, time is straight line. You know, it's not it's not cyclical. Well, you could have fooled us. (laughs) Yeah. You look back at world history, you're like, "Uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. About that. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, all right. Um, so we appreciate everybody listening in. Uh, we do have a Patreon, which we use to pay our editor, which we really appreciate. Trust me, folks, if you heard this unedited, you would be more than willing to shell out money to help us pay our editor. <laughs> all we ask is maybe a dollar a show, maybe a dollar a month, something like that. That'd be great. You get access to the Patreon. There are specific Patreon episodes. We do. We released one a couple I think last month we released one of the old uh, WandaVision. There are two more episodes. The, the third one's going up today. That should be the rest of it. And then we do podcasts specifically for Patreon requests. So this movie right here was actually at, at the request of one of our Patreons. They requested we do Red Dawn. And so that's one of the reasons we're doing Red Dawn. It was already kind of on the plate. It just sort of moved it up the schedule. But we do other, other things as well on the Patreon. So please consider supporting us. We would really appreciate it. I'm going to say like and subscribe because I don't know how that works on any of them, but subscribe and like. <laughs> yeah, and um, comment, tell us how we're doing, what you think. And uh, that way we know that whatever suggestions you guys have, we do listen to. As Pat mentioned before, this was kind of on our plate. It got shoved to the fo- to the front because one of our Patreons said, hey, could you please do it? We've gotten good feedback on our Big Lebowski. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that one. I will say it's probably our least kid-friendly one there's a lot of bleeping but we do try and well, bleep everything we're well out. on our way on this one too <laughs> i know but i mean it's just most of the movies we do are not kid-friendly in the first place so <laughs> that's just but where we're you at, say folks. you tell us to do care bears and we might do care bears <laughs> oh, i got fond memories of that in the care bear stare <laughs> whatever noise it was i don't know I have the power. No, wait, that's He-Man. That's Never mind. <laughs> we'll start doing morals at the end of our episodes if we have to do those. Because the 1980s TV show morals were the best. <laughs> Just the best. Got to keep your morals simple. Don't do drugs. Have fun, kids. <laughs> uh, but yeah. The more you know. So, yeah, uh, check out our Facebook page, check out our website, patentthefatman.com. Facebook is just Pat and the Fat Man. And, you know, share our stuff and highly rate us on whatever podcasting service you listen to. That way, the algorithm on that service will serve us to other people and it will grow the show. So, we really appreciate that. Thanks for joining us. I'm Pat. I'm the Fat Man. Stay classy. Wolverines! You're just trying to find stuff to try and force me to pee into at this point, aren't you? No.